There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Hello, and thank you for joining me. We're going to be examining a very important concept, and one that is essential for us to comprehend if we're going to speak into the culture around us. What is mindfulness, and is it acceptable for a Christian? This spiritual practice, and I emphasize it is a spiritual practice, yet often found in watered-down forms, is pervading our society right now. You see it all the time. You hear mindfulness mentioned on the television, even newscasts. You see it featured in magazine articles. It's like this concept, this idea is wooing the human race. Is this good or is this bad? Though it may seem inviting, this concept is based on a Buddhist worldview. So let's dig deep and let's get some answers. I think it's important to see right here at the start that mindfulness is actually the seventh step in the Eightfold Path, the Noble Eightfold Path to Enlightenment or to the Achieving of Nirvana in Buddhism. Let me just give you all eight steps. Number one, write knowledge. Number two, write thought. Number three, write speech. Number four, write conduct. Number five, write livelihood. Number six, write effort. Number seven, right mindfulness. And number eight, right meditation. And Buddhists are taught if they follow those eight steps, they will achieve nirvana. The word nirvana comes from a root word that means blowing out, like the blowing out of a candle. And it really means the realization that you have no permanent existence. See, it's based on some primary Buddhist doctrines. For instance, anatta is the doctrine of no self. It's the belief that you do not have a soul and you do not have an enduring self or personality that exists eternally. Now, that's the basis of mindfulness. Remember that. It's the doctrine of anatta, no self. Another basic doctrine of Buddhism is impermanence from the Buddhist word anicca or anicca. And that means that everything eventually will be non-existent. Everything is impermanent. It has no lasting value and no lasting existence. So if you get too attached to it, you enter into delusion. If you're too involved in it, you are not escaping the deception of living for temporal things in this world, which has a certain element of truth, but again, it's based on a Buddhist worldview. 
And a Buddhist worldview does not accept the existence of a creator. The universe is the result of cause and effect. It's got nothing to do with the creator actually bringing it into existence, a creator that you can have relationship with. No wonder the Dalai Lama once commented that trying to mix Buddhism and Christianity is like putting a yak's head on a sheep's body. It's not possible because some of the basic beliefs of Buddhism are completely incompatible with the basic beliefs of a follower of Jesus. Now, words are very important, and the word mindfulness sounds attractive. However, it encapsulates an idea that is not compatible with Christianity, and we'll get to that more in just a moment, but let me insert another example of how words can mean something completely different to one group than they do to another. For instance, uh, there was a trend back in the 70s of people getting involved in TM, Transcendental Meditation. And that sounded good because the word transcendental means to transcend the natural world and to penetrate the spiritual world. Well, who wouldn't want to do that? I want to transcend the natural world when I pray. And meditation, well, meditation is wonderful. That just means focusing your attention on something that is of value. You meditate on it. You ponder it. So wouldn't transcendental meditation be good? No, because it's based on a Hindu worldview and Hindu objectives, like experiencing samadhi or enlightenment, God consciousness, which many Hindus believe to mean that you are consciously aware that you are God. And so you've got words that sound acceptable, sound, and yet they represent doctrines that are not acceptable within a biblical framework. So we need to be very careful about identifying the meaning of terms. When you think of being mindful, your first reaction is that that means being very attentive and focused, which is certainly a good thing. It's good to bring your mind under discipline, not to be scattered in your thinking, and to be mindful seems to be an indication that your mind is full of disciplined thought processes. However, mindfulness meditation in a Buddhist context is really the opposite of a mind being full. It's a mind being empty. It's more like mindlessness, and you'll see that more as we progress. In mindfulness meditation, you are taught to focus on one thing and let all other thoughts go. For instance, you may meditate on a dot positioned on a wall in front of you, and all you do is concentrate on that dot. All you do possibly is concentrating on your breathing or concentrating on the beat of your heart and push all other thoughts out. So it's not really mindfulness, it's mindlessness. It's less mental activity. It's less thoughts flowing through your mind. Really, it's subduing mental activity. And yes, it may bring a certain semblance of peace, 
but I call it a numbing of the mind, which brings a false peace, not the peace of God, but the peace of ridding your mind of internal conflicts by pushing them out. And there's so many different ways I can explain this. For instance, suppose a Buddhist and a Christian are looking at a waterfall, and both of them are trying to respond in a spiritual way. If the Buddhist is practicing mindfulness, he observes his thoughts about the waterfall, but he doesn't judge whether it is good or bad. He pushes all of the thoughts out of his mind except focusing on the cascading waters in front of him. He empties his mind of all other distracting thoughts. It's a disconnect. A Christian, on the other hand, would gaze on the waterfall and embrace the beauty of it and connect his mind to the beauty of creation and, most importantly, the beauty of the Creator, and it would become a worshipful moment, a worship-filled moment. So Christian meditation and Buddhist meditation achieve very different goals. See, Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So biblical meditation is actually pondering the truths of God's word in a worshipful and prayerful way and communing with the Creator while you are doing so to receive influence from him if he chooses to speak to your heart or to bring deeper revelation concerning a certain passage. That's meditation within a Christian framework. But mindfulness meditation is more like detachment. It's pulling back and becoming an observer on the sidelines, watching the activity on the playing field of your own life and your own mind, but not getting emotionally involved. I read a very succinct series of definitions concerning mindfulness recently, and it gave these five definitions that number one, mindfulness is observing life as it happens. Number two, mindfulness is accepting the current happenings without judgment or struggle. Now, that's a very important point. Accepting the current happenings without judgment or struggle. Then number three, allowing feelings to surface but not forcing any action. Number four, noticing thoughts without embracing them. And number five, taking action on what you feel in your heart, not based on old habits or old ways of reacting or convenience. So those are the five descriptions of what mindfulness is. I want to camp for a moment on number two accepting the current happenings without judgment or struggle. In other words, mindfulness is focusing on what's going on in your life and going on in your mind, but not making a judgment concerning whether or not it's good or bad, but pulling back, detaching yourself from the situation and just observing it. But if you're a Bible believer, 
you filter everything through the word of God. And the scripture does say, he that is spiritual judges all things. We're constantly making judgments. And of course, people misinterpret the meaning of the word judgment. It means on one level to distinguish between what is wrong and what is right, what is bad and what is good. And the determining factor is alignment with the word of God. If we are being mindful of leading a God-pleasing life, we're constantly going to be judging our thoughts, judging our emotions, and judging our actions to make sure we are in sync with what God says is acceptable and right. We don't do that in a self-condemning way. We do not expect the outcome of that to be a guilt-ridden state of mind. It, it spurs us to action. It spurs us to repentance. It spurs us to faith. It stirs us to embrace the promises of God, to confess the promises of God, and to worship the God who has given us this path out of the dilemma of our fallen state. See, the scripture does talk about tearing down strongholds, which are established ways of negative thinking and bringing every thought into captivity unto the obedience of Christ. We don't dismiss thoughts and refuse to be emotionally involved in their existence, but we take hold of our thought life and align it with the Word of God. There is a huge difference between the two. Mindfulness meditation is like being a spectator, a passive bystander, watching your own life unfold on the playing field in front of you without being actively involved because it's not really permanent and so you realize it's just temporary conflict, temporary pain, temporary disturbances, and you can draw back from it and escape it as a result. Well, in the process, you escape conviction, you evade repentance, you avoid the effort of alignment with God's word, you accept situations and character flaws rather than challenging them, See, that's a peace based on false premises. It's not a true peace. It's a false peace because you don't overcome the negatives of life by detaching yourself, but quite the contrary, by attaching yourself to them and applying the word of God until the word rules your thoughts and your actions. Let me give you a few scriptures that will help. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. And I do believe that doing something with all your might is focusing your attention like a magnifying glass gathers rays of light and focuses them on one point. So also we need to be that way with all the activities of life. Whatever we're doing, we should do it with all our heart. And that's what the scripture says. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so you do everything with a worshipful state of mind. 
And then Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So everything we do, we do with our hearts inclined toward God, connecting with God, adoration toward God. That fills you with joy that is unspeakable, not a numbing of the mind that brings a false peace. Scripture tells us, let me repeat this, that we must bring every thought into captivity, but to do so, we must judge whether those thoughts need to be discarded or accepted. Let me give you another example. If you're cutting the grass and practicing mindful meditation, you might just stare straight ahead and cut the grass, only focusing on the sensation of breath going in and out of your lungs while you're performing that task. All other active thoughts are pushed out. Mindfulness focuses on one thing and lets all other thoughts go. Because, well, the grass is impermanent. The mower is impermanent. I, as a person, am impermanent. I can be focused on it in a Christian way, and I'm delighting myself in the Lord while I'm cutting the grass, and and I'm doing a job to perfection in order that everything I do be an act of worship toward God. It's still being focused, it's still being mindful, but it's not the same approach. It's not an attempt to have this calmness of mind by drawing back from the conflict of the negative and positive interactivity of our minds. So, I asked a former Buddhist if there was anything good about mindfulness, and she said, no, it is a pagan practice. It is stealth Buddhism. That's S-T-E-A-L-T-H, stealth Buddhism, which is, in other words, a secretive way of slipping Buddhist principles in and making them acceptable because they sound like just secularized terms or psychological terms or uh, universally acceptable religious terms. But it's still Buddhist at its base. It's the seventh step toward nirvana. And nirvana is a condition of mind where you realize that you, that you have an inner realization that ultimately you will cease to exist as a person. Now, the Christian point of view is quite opposite. You do have a soul and you will live on eternally in the presence of God Almighty if you run this race correctly. If you walk the walk of faith, if you walk in the light and walk in the truth and walk in the love of God and walk in obedience to his commandments, yes, you do have a permanent existence. So you don't draw back from the suffering of life overcoming it by seeing that it's only temporary, you apply the word of God to those areas of suffering in your life until you overcome problems with promises. There's a huge difference between the two. And we may cover this more in a future podcast, 
but I believe I believe we've covered some great territory and I believe it's been very worthwhile. So please visit our website, thetruelight.net. Get a copy of my book, In Search of the True Light, because we cover a lot of these subjects in great depth. That's 336 pages of a comparison of over 20 religions. I respond to at least 30 major ideas within Far Eastern mystical religions or New Age spirituality, and I respond to those with a biblical point of view. You need to get that, and I urge you to do so. Also, listen to my other podcast, Discover Your Spiritual Identity, which is a study of the names and titles of the children of God in the Bible. It's a wonderful study. There's over 1,000 names and titles that God has given us in his word. And when you discover them, you find out your God-given roles in this world, and you can boldly walk in them, and you discover your destiny in the world to come. So that other podcast is called Discover Your Spiritual Identity. I urge you to subscribe to it. It will be a blessing to you. And I hope today's podcast has been a blessing to you. Communicate with me if you need to. Shoot me an email from one of our websites. God bless you. Have a wonderful life, a God-filled life, a God-focused life. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shree's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.